Welcome to this week's energy show. Now, there are two segments of the renewable energy industry that are growing like crazy, in addition to solar. First, it's electric vehicles or EVs. And the second is home storage battery systems, also used for backup power or battery backup systems. So it's a contractor. Our battery backup business is growing really fast. People are using them for two reasons. One, batteries help avoid sky-high peak electricity prices. Heck, you know, where I live, electricity is 50 cents a kilowatt hour from 4 to 9 p.m. It's really cheap during the day, but 50 cents a kilowatt hour at night. And second, they're using batteries for backup power during blackouts. And the grid is becoming less and less reliable, just for grid reliability and integrity reasons, but also because we have wildfires and other events, ice storms, things like that. So people are putting in batteries. Customers are installing batteries anywhere from 10 kilowatt hours, that's a measure of energy, on up to 80 kilowatt hours. I've seen systems going up to 80 kilowatt hours of batteries. It's kind of the maximum that they allow by the building codes. And the batteries usually go on the side of the house or in a garage. So customers often ask, hey, can I use that big lithium ion battery that I already have in my garage. It happens to be on wheels. It's in my car. And can I use that to power my house? Well, it's a natural question. And more and more people are asking it because they saw Clark Griswold, this is the character played by Chevy Chase in the Vacation movies, do that in a Ford Mach-E commercial. The Mach-E has uh, batteries ranging in sizes up to 88 kilowatt hours. And Ford is also promoting this vehicle-to-grid capability with their new Lightning electric pickups. And other manufacturers have talked about it a lot. So V2G, or vehicle-to-grid, it seems real. And as they said on the $6 million man, we have the technology, but not so fast. There's two big barriers to the widespread deployment of vehicle-to-grid. The first is regulatory, building codes and standards and cities saying you have to do it a certain way and people getting the UL listing, Underwriter Labs listing, for a charger that would charge your car and then you could also use that energy in your car for your house. It's a tricky UL listing issues there. And the second, it's kind of very subtle. Nobody talks about it, but it's the utility and the car company business model. Sometimes you have technology, but the people and the companies that control that technology aren't interested in the application. So some car companies don't want you to use your car battery for home use, um, including the biggest, Tesla. And also, most utilities don't want their customers installing or using energy storage system because it cuts back on their profits. Aha, uh-huh. it's a tricky one. All right, so let's put a couple of those barriers aside. I put on my thinking cap to figure out what would be required from a technical standpoint for customers, for businesses and homeowners to put in a vehicle-to-grid system that could connect to a typical EV. All right, so let's just kind of take a look at a typical house. Quite common is a 200-amp electrical panel, and the average energy use in a house in the U.S. is 1,000 kilowatt hours a month, or about 33 kilowatt hours a day. Now, it varies, right? Here in California, you might use less than that in the winter, but if it's really in a hot area, you can use a lot more of that in the summer for air conditioning. So a typical large EV battery of 88 kilowatt hours could easily power the house for a few days as long as the battery was fully charged. You know, and we're looking at that average 1,000 kilowatt hour consumption a month, 33 kilowatt hours a day. I expect that home energy consumption figure is actually going to go up. 
This is electricity consumption. As we transition from gas to electric, natural gas to electric, as people more and more people charge up their cars at home, as we electrify heating, cooking, and hot water heating. All right. So here comes the first electrical issue. You can't just plug your car in without special equipment. So when the grid is down, solar and battery backup systems have to isolate from the grid. They have to kind of disconnect the house from the grid. So the power in the house being supplied by a battery or a generator or even solar is not going to go backwards through the grid. It becomes dangerous for electrical workers. So we're concerned about safety for electrical workers. And this is built in to both the electrical codes and the underwriter listing codes. So the way we isolate from the grid is with something called an automatic transfer switch. Sometimes it's manual, but the solar battery backup systems have an automatic switch. They switch over in like a second. In addition, you need a backup interface or called a backup gateway. This is a big box with all kinds of stuff inside it, controls. It has a transfer switch and it. it has some software capabilities. But basically the key is to make sure that the power from the car battery does not go backwards into the grid and you know, create a danger for utility workers. Now, the second electrical issue is you need an inverter. Now, EVs do not have inverters designed for buildings. Interestingly, they have inverters that operate the motor in the car. It gives them variable speed capabilities, but they're not residential inverters. They're not designed for homes. So looking at what we have for residential inverters, they typically range in size from 3.8 kilowatts to 7.6 kilowatts to 11.4 kilowatts. These are kind of funny numbers. I scratched my head originally wondering, why did they pick those arbitrary numbers? But it's not arbitrary. They pick the size of those inverters so that they maximize the amount of inverter you can put on a typical circuit breaker. So the 3.8 kilowatt inverter is the largest inverter we can put on a 100 amp electrical service. It uses a 20 amp breaker. A 7.6 kilowatt inverter is the largest inverter we can put on a 200 amp electric service. We use a 40 amp breaker for that. And an 11.4 kilowatt inverter is kind of one notch higher. It can operate on a 60 amp breaker. So that's where those arbitrary numbers come from. And that's going to have to factor into what connects into the car. So let's consider the biggest common home inverter you can get. It's typically about 11.4 kilowatts. It has a maximum output of 11,400 watts, 11.4 kilowatts, when the grid is on. And then the output of the inverter with the battery kind of depends on the capacity of the battery. Manufacturers, all manufacturers, limit the maximum power output of the battery because the battery lasts longer. It's not only home batteries, it's also car batteries. So kind of looking at this 11.4 kilowatt inverter, let's just pick a kind of arbitrary number right now of 10,000 watts. So the inverter in backup mode can put out 10,000 watts. And that can be boosted by the available daytime solar power, but works out to be about 42 amps. Now, standard solar inverters, that's what we're talking about, you know, 42 amps or so. It's, it's okay for most use, except for when large motors such as air conditioners and pumps turn on, or when you're charging your EV. So when we design battery backup systems for homes, we have to be careful to make sure that we're not powering the really big appliances that will kill the inverter. It's basically the inverter is going to say, oh, I'm putting out too much power. I'm not even going to operate. We're going to talk about the energy issue separately, but we're talking about the power. These systems have to be designed so that you prevent or avoid situations where you're turning on big appliances that are going to overload the inverter and cause the inverter to automatically shut down. It doesn't break it. It just kind of shuts it down. So we're talking about things like air conditioners, EV chargers, electric ovens, pool pumps, things like that. If all of that's on, one of those things just happens to turn on when other things are running in the house, 
you could overload temporarily and the inverter is going to say, hey, I'm not going to operate. So this is very common. We deal with these power surge limitations by only backing up essential loads. We're basically setting up a system where we disconnect automatically these really big loads that we can't power during a blackout called load shedding. All right. So I mentioned that we have this power issue, but we really, with the car batteries, most of the car batteries, we don't really have an energy issue. Energy is measured in kilowatt hours. The typical home batteries are in the range of 10 to 16 kilowatt hours. Sometimes people put in two or three. But with the battery that's in the car, 80 to 100 kilowatt hours, there's no big limitation on the energy use. That's why I said even if it's a cloudy day for two days, you're going to be fine. Because the EVs or batteries are so much bigger than residential batteries. Now, of course, they're bigger. You can use all that capacity, but you can't be driving your car at the same time because then that'll deplete the battery and then, gee, there's a blackout. How do you charge up your car? All right. So the third big issue is when and where are you going to charge your EV? That sounds kind of, you know, basic. I'll just charge at home or I'll just charge at work. Well, there's issues with that. Usually people plug in their EV at home and charge at night. That's the most common way people charge. So kind of looking at where the electric rates are, it would be a smart thing in order to save the most money to discharge your car battery when you come home from six o'clock at night, five o'clock at night until midnight when the rates are the highest. And then you would charge your car battery from the grid from midnight to 6 a.m. and then you know go to work. And you charge at that point when the rates are lowest. The thing is though that the utility kind of doesn't like that. They don't want you to use the grid for this kind of arbitrage. It affects their profits. So if you're discharging time in the evening, from say 6 to 12 p.m. is the same as your charging time in the middle of the night, then there's really no time for you to actually add charge to your battery. So that kind of doesn't work out from a practical standpoint. If you're going to be using your vehicle's battery to power your house, and then you're going to charge it up again at night from your house. So what's the solution to this? The ideal thing is, hey, I'll just charge at work during the day. I'm parked all day. The problem is that companies aren't widely offering EV charging. It's very expensive because of something called very high demand charges. Now, we all know that most electric bills have a charge for kilowatt hours. It's for energy. It's the amount of kilowatt hours you use. But for a lot of commercial customers, there's an additional charge based on the power that the commercial business draws. It's a demand charge. It's measured only in kilowatts. They look at what the peak kilowatt demand is in any given month, and then they charge you a lot of money for that. Charge companies a lot of money. So what ends up happening, EV charging started off with a, you know, a lot of excitement when companies were putting in EV chargers, and then the companies realized, oh, heck, our electric bill went through the roof. We're happy to give our employees a benefit of kilowatt hour consumption, but if it's going to raise all of our electric rate extensively because of these high demand charges, it doesn't make sense. So EV charging at work has turned out to be a very expensive employee benefit, and it's really not happening in any wide-scale fashion. Okay, we talked about these three issues. They're mostly technical and logistical. I think they're manageable. We have inverters, we have transfer switches, these backup interfaces have auto transformers, and people can probably work out when and where they charge. The fourth issue is related to the regulations. These are the UL listings that are needed to get a building permit. Every single piece of electrical equipment that we in install, that a contractor installs, has to be UL listed. Now, there's a UL standard, it's called UL 9741, which is for vehicle to grid. And it talks about a system that would have bi-directional EV charging and discharging. From your home, you can charge up your EV, and then you can still have that EV plugged in and somehow with some 
inverters and other technology and software. It would then deliver that energy to your house. Very cool. That's what we're talking about. Many EV chargers already support this bi-directional operation, and I believe some cars also have some of these bi-directional capabilities. And some companies have passed these UL9741 requirements, but we're still at a very early stage, and it takes years to get products through the UL standards process and then get them into the market and change the building codes, but we're kind of making progress on that. But the reasons why this isn't really happening comes up to the next couple of issues I'm going to talk about. The fifth issue, is car company cooperation. Now, car companies, like they provide a warranty on the powertrain of the car, just like gas cars, usually for 10 years or 100,000 miles. So my EV has a, a guarantee that the battery is going to be good for 10 years. My cars all had, had warranties where the engines would, and the powertrain, the transmission, would be good for 10 years or 100,000 miles. The thing is, from a car company standpoint, if you're discharging your battery every night at home and not driving with that, it might turn out that you would have put on an equivalent of 100,000 miles, not in 10 years, but maybe three or four, because you're going to be totally discharging your battery every night. And it's going to wear the battery out faster, and it's going to affect the warranty on what I believe to be the single most expensive part of an EV, which is the battery. Now, here's an example. The biggest EV manufacturer, Tesla, they want to sell you home batteries. If they make it so that your Tesla car can plug into the wall vehicle to grid, they're not going to sell as many home batteries. Surprise. So Tesla's not a big fan of vehicle to grid. Now, Nissan years ago announced that they would be doing this. Volkswagen and Ford have announced capabilities, and you can see Ford promoting that in, in their commercials. But I still don't think it's going to happen anytime soon because of the sixth issue. And this is perhaps the biggest. It's the one that's hardest to change. Utilities don't want you to store your own power or use your own power instead of the power you buy from them. That's just the same as they're creating artificial barriers to solar and home battery installations. They don't want you to put solar on your roof so you can generate your own electricity and not buy electricity from them. And they don't want you to put batteries in your house because that's going to reduce the amount of energy you buy from them. And you're not going to buy energy from them when it's most expensive, which is what they want to do. And they want to build all of that battery storage infrastructure. They want to put in big substations with big batteries. They want to put in solar farms with big batteries. They don't want you to plug your EV in and substitute for their own investments. The reason is because they get a 10% guaranteed annual profit on all their storage assets. So if a thousand people connect up to vehicle to grid, it could mean that they wouldn't put in, the utilities wouldn't get an opportunity to put in a battery storage substation which they would make a lot of profit on based on this 10%. So they're not supporting in any big way vehicle to grid, or if they are supporting it, I'd say it's mostly lip service because it conflicts directly with their business model, just like solar and home battery storage conflicts with their business model. All right, so those are the six big issues. There's one more thing that kind of cropped up that people often ask me about is, hey, what about using old car batteries? I mean, these car batteries still have a lot of life in them. You know, my, my old Chevy Volt has a 16 and a half kilowatt hour battery in it. It's probably still got a lot of capacity. It's probably just as good as the 10 kilowatt hour battery I have on the side of my house. But the building codes are prohibiting your using a used EV battery 
to plug into your house because that V battery wasn't UL listed for home use. It wasn't listed for just putting it in your garage and wiring it up. Now, there's a tendency for people to kind of ignore these mundane building code issues. Companies ignore them. Technology companies ignore them all the time until they develop a product and say, okay, let's get it to market. And they find out they got a two or three year time frame and it could be a million dollars to get through this. Now, from a perspective of a licensed contractor, we realize these things all the time because we need to get a building permit. And if a product's not UL listed, whether it's a, a used car battery or you know a, a storage battery or inverter, if it's not UL listed, we can't get a building permit to install that. It's a safety reason, and there's really kind of no way around it. Okay, let's put these six challenges aside. How could we do this? How could you do this? Simple solution. The simplest way to do this is you just buy a big inverter. Let's say it's an 11.4 kilowatt solar inverter. We install these all the time. You have an interface, like a backup interface or a gateway that has an automatic transfer switch built in. It might have an auto transfer to create the 240 volt split phase power that you need. It's got some software. It's got some electronics. Pretty much, this is exactly what we do day in and day out, putting in battery backup systems for customers. The thing is that there's nothing like this that's really listed and available for vehicle to grid yet. Technology is there. We got all the parts but we don't have the UL listings, we don't have utility support. And the other thing that we're probably missing, which is kind of tricky, is we don't have all the software and controls for it. All right, so when will all this vehicle grid equipment be available from major manufacturers? The inverter, the transfer switch, the auto transformer, the software, the apps, the bi-directional EV. I'm guessing at least five years. It's going to take at least five years before you can actually get UL listed equipment systems and software. And then you're going to have to add a few more years for certification and to get that software perfected. But overall, vehicle to grid, it's a very logical concept, but I'm suggesting we have to temper our enthusiasm. The technology is established. The hardware is conceptually available. We need software. We need building codes that are going to allow people to build compliant products. So the codes are there, but the products aren't there yet. But the biggest barriers are utilities and auto manufacturers. Now, I think this problem is definitely going to be solved. It's starting to get solved in niches like electric buses, where they're using those in kind of test places. But realistically, I'd say it's going to be at least another eight to 10 years before vehicle to grid takes off. In the meantime, the best solution for backup power and reducing your peak electricity costs, and these solutions are, are perfectly logical, they work, they're cost effective, they're reliable, just put in solar and a home storage battery. And I'm suggesting you get this equipment installed before your utility, like PG&E, starts making home storage and solar even more expensive. They're trying to do that, we're fighting it, but they're, they're working in the background to make this very difficult, just like, as I said, they're making vehicle to grid very difficult. All right, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.